at my in-laws that I would assemble it before the big day. This was dad's time to shine. Assemble the bike, be the hero. In retrospect, I probably should have gone the week before and completed the assembly uh, before 9 o'clock on Christmas Eve. Um, and yet, that thought did not occur to me. I got this. I'm a dad. By mid-morning, my sweet daughter would be cruising around the neighborhood with her, in her beach cruiser while I began that assembly, and I quickly realized I actually don't got this. I started assembling the bike and realized there was a problem. There was no pedals. There's no pedals! Whoever put the package together forgot to include them. The bike was sort of usable, I would say. You could sit on it, you could coast down the hill, maybe you could walk the bike up a hill. But there was one essential piece missing. Missing that one essential piece made the bike ineffective, even though it looked beautiful. Has that ever happened to you? You're starting a project around the house and you're getting close to completion, and then you realize you forgot to buy that one thing you need to finish the job. Something could be almost perfect except for that one essential missing piece. This morning, we read about a man with great eloquence, who was a great orator, a learned man, but his message, there was one essential missing piece. And that one missing piece made his message incomplete and ineffective. So as we look at Apollos, a gifted, zealous servant of God, we, I pray, we learn how to find the missing piece in our own lives by watching his example. We're going to walk through these brief verses through four points. The first is a, the zeal for the Scriptures, the, the zeal for the Scriptures. Uh, my high school football coach uh, would always emphasize to us that we would do everything full speed. Uh, he would say, I, I, I can't help you um, uh, if I don't show the effort. So it, I, I could teach you what you did wrong, but I can't coach effort. Play at full speed. Well, Apollos was playing at full speed. Look what it says in verse 24. This is now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. So it says that Paulus was a Jew. He was a native of Alexandria. Alexandria was the Roman uh, center in Egypt. It was known for a large population of Jews. It was also known for being a city of great learning, a place where great philosophers were born. Uh, Luke calls Apollos an eloquent man. Uh, the phrase literally means learned man. He was well-educated and eloquent when he spoke. Uh, we probably all know someone that fits that description. Uh, Apollos was also said to be competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Now, we're not given all the details and exactly what he was instructed in, 
uh, but being competent in the Scriptures and being instructed in the way of the Lord was probably referring to, to knowing the, the promises of the Old Testament related to the coming Messiah. And now remember, the book of Acts is a sequel. It's following the Gospel of Luke. Luke mentions the baptism of John in Acts 18, I think, as a reference to turn you back to the first part of his gospel. So if you would, maybe keep your place here and just flip back to, to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. Luke writes there these words. And John went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. A voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the, come, from the wrath to come, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, then what shall we do? He answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations and be content with your wages. As people were in expectation, all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. John answered them all, saying, I baptize with water. But he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in, the hand, in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with an unquenchable fire." So with many other exhortations, he preached the good news to the people. So I think when Luke says the baptism of John in Acts 18, he's trying to explain this is what Apollos knew. Uh, John taught a baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sins. It was a, he was teaching how he was fulfilling Isaiah chapter 40 to prepare the way of the Lord. John preached that people need to repent and bear fruit. So each individual group that came to him and says, you need to stop doing this that maybe identifies your, 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 your pattern of your group and you need to do the opposite to reflect one who lives a life of repentance. People, all people of all different groups need to turn from their sins and live their lives in holiness. So Apollos would have been taught the promises of the Messiah from the Old Testament and the importance of, of living a holy life unto the Lord. So after being instructed in the way of the Lord, Apollos wanted to share it. We see that right there in, um, back in our, in our text in Acts, in verse 25. It says, And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. 
Apollos was a man of action. He, he, the, the text says that he was being fervent in spirit. That description is only used here in, in, in Romans 12, verse 11, that where, where Paul lays out the marks of a, a Christian. That description is, literally means boiling or, or seething. It means that Apollos was excited. He was enthusiastic. He was on fire. Apollos was teaching at full speed with great boldness to the Jews in the synagogue at Ephesus. Beloved, I believe, I believe that we should follow Apollos' example. We, 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 he was enthusiastic to share what he knew about Jesus. As we'll see, he, he didn't have complete knowledge, but he shared what he knew. I mean, how many of us are afraid to share the gospel with our neighbors and our coworkers because we just don't know how much the questions that they may ask, that we may not have answers to. We feel that we just don't know enough, so we remain silent. Friends, we will always be learning. We will always be growing in our knowledge of the Scriptures. But you can always just share what you know. And not just share what you know, but literally be excited about what you know. Apollos was instructing the way of the Lord, the baptism of, of John, and he shared it enthusiastically. I mean, when was the last time you shared something enthusiastically? I mean, when you were on fire, you were just beaming and couldn't wait with excitement to share something. Was it Jesus or was it a new Netflix show that you just started watching? Was it about our Lord or a great play on the, on the diamond? Was it about our salvation or a new recipe that you just found? Listen, friends, it is right and good to be, to be happy about the things that God has given us, right? It is right and good to rejoice over a new recipe or to celebrate an inside-the-park home run. Suzuki hit one against the Mets the other day. It was fantastic, okay? It, it's good and it's right to be excited about the things that God has given us. But if we can be excited about those things, oh, friends, should we not even more be excited about the Word of God? If we are not excited about Jesus, why should a lost person ever be excited about our Lord? Romans 12, 11 says, it commands Christians, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Apollos wasn't lazy. He was excited about what he knew. He was fervent to serve the Lord. You know, over the last several months, one of the greatest encouragements that the Lord has given me is to see the fervor that our young people are serving the Lord, serving in Boston and Miami, uh, serving all throughout the, the week, cleaning our church. We have young people coming in our week, teenagers, to clean the bathrooms at our church. If that is not fervor in the Lord, I don't know what is. The two of them were talking recently. They were just talking about their lives and their futures. And they said, you know, all I want to do with my life is serve the church. Oh, praise God, beloved, for what he's doing. That is a wonderful testimony. But it's not even among them. I mean, I've seen so many of you even having the, the conference this week and, and how many people have stepped up and said, how can I serve? How can I serve? Do you need anything? There's this, there's this fervor that is happening among our people. It's just so exciting. I, I, I just want to exhort you. The zeal that you have for Christ, I just want you to do it more and more. Keep it up, church. 
And maybe those of you here who have been maybe feeling this internal desire, you feel something stirring in you and, and you, you don't want to sit on the sidelines anymore. Go get busy with the things of God. Res- respond to that prompting of the Holy Spirit and take that step. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. You will not regret it. See, Apollos was serving full speed, but he was missing one essential piece. He was teaching, teaching accurately about Jesus, yet incomplete. The second thing, we see the honor of the saints. The honor of the saints. So if you remember from last week, Paul arrived in Corinth and he, he met Aquila and Priscilla. They were both tent makers. Uh, they became dear friends and uh, they were, they, the, Aquila and Priscilla were, were, were believers. Uh, they were faithful servants of the church. They left Corinth with the Apostle Paul, uh, but Paul had them remain at Ephesus when he went back to Antioch. Priscilla and Aquila now, after helping the Apostle Paul and helping his ministry by providing him a place to stay and providing for him financially, they now will take what they were going to learn and pass it on to help Apollos. Look at verse 26. It says, Apollos began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. See, Apollos was teaching accurately, but incomplete. Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside, and just tried to help him understand the way of God more accurately. Notice that Priscilla and Aquila did not publicly shame Apollos for his teaching. They did not talk amongst the believers at Ephesus, can you believe this guy? He doesn't know what he's talking about, because he wasn't teaching the whole truth. In love and respect, he took him aside, they took him aside, and helped him. Beloved, what a beautiful example of the church. Priscilla and Aquila had a heart for the truth and had a heart for the body of Christ. They were doing what Paul urged the, the Thessalonians to do in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you, who are over you in the Lord, and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Now, Apollos was not over them in the Lord, but he was a teacher. He was laboring to work to share the way of Jesus. And Priscilla and Aquila honored and respected him for his work and pulled him aside to teach him. Friends, this is a wonderful example to us and a great picture of the body of Christ and how it works. We need each other. We all want the same thing for the church, the glory of Almighty God. A few years ago, I was preaching through 2 Thessalonians. A member of the church asked to, to meet for lunch, and uh, while he was there, you know, I, just, I sensed something was bothering him. I mean, he was a faithful brother. He was a dear friend. I knew that he loved me, but as I sat across from him, I could just see him anxious. And I said, hey, brother, what, what, what's wrong? And he just shared. He said, Pastor, over the last several months, I just don't feel that I'm hearing the gospel in your preaching. He felt that I was all law, all good works, and no grace. In that moment, I just thanked him for his courage, because it takes a lot of courage to talk to your pastor, tell him when you have concerns. I went back, and I looked at my notes and read through my manuscripts to see my previous messages. 
And I had been sharing the gospel. But my emphasis was all on the law. I was shouting the law. And I was just whispering in the grace of God. I needed to be corrected to teach the word of God more accurately. His courage and love for me and the truth ultimately served me and served the church and continues to serve you today. Because the thing that is often rolling in the back of my head when I prepare a sermon is give him grace. Give him the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, I and the elders are not always going to do things perfectly. We may be going full speed. You know my personality. But there's times that you need to pull us aside and to explain ways that we can lead or, and teach better. Learn from Priscilla and Aquila in how they approached Apollos. They did it with honor, grace, and love. They did not shame him, but they served him. Their end goal was for his good and love. You know, at our last members meeting, one of the members shared after our time together um, how encouraged he was after our meeting. You know, if you were there, there may have been times that seemed a little tense, but he said people felt free to share their desires. They felt free to ask questions. Uh, we were able to disagree charitably at certain points. And then after the meeting, we were eating ice cream and watermelon together, laughing and serving one another. He said that if I was part of old churches that I used to be a part of, that meeting would have ended very badly, and there would have been a break in relationships. So I'm grateful at the end of that meeting, the character and the wisdom and the godliness of our body. I'm grateful there are many Priscilla's and Aquila's um, who are willing to honor our elders by helping us lead better. Praise God for how the Lord structures His church. And yet, even now, I'm praying that the seeds of bitterness, the seeds of gossip will not develop in our body over the last meeting. That there will not be anything from the, from the elders who feel attacked from disagreements or anything from the, the body who feel like they're not being heard. I pray that we as elders would be like Apollos. I pray that we would heed the wisdom of our people. We have the responsibility to one another to honor those who are over us in the Lord. So if you are tempted even in your own heart to, to, to have anything drop down into your heart against your leaders, let me encourage you. You are commanded by God to honor those who are over you, to esteem them highly for their labor of love because that is their work to love you. So when we as elders love you and you as members love us, God is glorified. And Jesus is taught more accurately to the world around us. When we love each other in such a deep, profound way and not let simple disagreements affect our unity in Christ, what the world sees is a better picture of the Lord Jesus. Our unity is so important that before Jesus Christ was about to hang on Calvary's cross, he was praying to the Father saying, let them be one as you and I are one. Even as we taught our new members class yesterday, part of our church covenant, Ephesians chapter 4, we need to work hard for our unity and the spirit of peace. So I'm grateful that honor and love characterizes our congregation. I truly am towards how they retreat their leaders 
And I pray we understand that love and respect serves the glory of God and helps see the better picture of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every single one of us, every single day, have an opportunity to help adorn the gospel of Christ or obscure it. Beloved, let us adorn Christ. He is worthy. Number three, we see the humility of the Spirit. The humility of the Spirit. We see this in how Apollos responded. Uh, One of the greatest qualities of life is humility. In my natural sinful nature, I am not a humble person. I don't even have to try to be prideful. A few years ago, I was at a leadership retreat, and during the retreat, they said, after the meeting, we're going to go bowling. And I promise you, my very next thought was, how will I act when I bowl a perfect game? (laughs) I have never been close to bowling a perfect game. And I knew it was utterly ridiculous. So I called Ellen. I, said, I told her. We laughed. Um, she called, you know, after the bowling experience, she called me and said, hey, Dave, did you bowl a perfect game? I said, sweetie, not only did I not bowl a perfect game, but while bowling, I split my pants. <laughs> the Lord is gracious to humble us when we need it. And see, beloved, what, what, what makes us humble is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the, the third person of the Trinity, He's the one who humbles us. He makes us willing to hear the truth about ourselves and respond appropriately. Apollos was humble in spirit. He was willing to listen to Priscilla and Aquila. It says that he was instructed in the way of the Lord. And to be instructed, you have to be willing to learn. You know, one of the greatest challenges in our day is that young people primarily don't want to learn from those who are older. And those who are older don't want to share with those who are younger. If we did both those things, those who are older gave themselves whatever knowledge they had to those who are younger, and you who are younger are willing to listen and receive those things, we would have a very different society. And we'd have a very different church. One of the reasons why God has done such a work in our church, I promise you, is because that has characterized our church. Young people in our congregation, by God's grace, over the last 10 years, have been willing to listen to older men. And older men have been willing, bit by bit, to give more and more of their wisdom to our younger men. Praise be his name. We need to understand more and more about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That's what Apollos did. The text says that they explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now, if you're here and you're not a follower of Christ, let me ask you, do you know the way of God? Apollos knew the way of God to a point, but he needed to to be taught more accurately. I wonder if you would just take maybe a few moments with me to, to ask yourself and maybe humble yourself enough to be able to hear me tell you the Word of God more accurately. See, Apollos was humble enough to listen and consider the words of Priscilla and Aquila, yet he knew that he was missing that one essential piece. And maybe you are as well. So, Maybe I can help you understand it more accurately. The Bible says that God created the world perfect. He made man in his own image to reflect his glory to the world. Sadly, the first humans believed God was withholding something from them that was good. They rebelled against his good word and sinned against him. That that sin brought death into the world. Our world is now under a curse. All humanity is under that curse. And that curse is the curse of death. We deserve death for our sin. 
we are all sinners. See, Apollos knew he needed to repent and do what was right, but he didn't know yet how he would actually be made right. Jesus Christ was the one who came to make us right with God. Jesus took on human flesh and did what we could not. He perfectly obeyed God. And when he did something absolute, then he did something absolutely astounding after his perfect, perfect life, he willingly laid his life down for sinners. He was perfect, and he said, I'm willing to lay my perfect life down in love for sinners, for those who rebelled against me, those who hate me. He laid his life down to pay the penalty for sin. So Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14 reads, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Friends, Jesus was cursed for us. And after Jesus was dead and buried, God raised him from the dead. So now we might receive the, the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Friend, if you repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ, in his life, death, and resurrection, you will be saved. You will be saved because Jesus Christ will pay your debt. He will give you his righteous record. Friend, the way of God is only through Jesus Christ. I pray that you'd be humble enough to hear it. If you want to, to learn more, any one of us here would be delighted to talk to you. Like Priscilla and Aquila, we would be happy to take you aside and just have a conversation about it. Now, beloved, can you imagine how enthusiastic Apollos would have been after that conversation with Priscilla and Aquila? He only knew of the baptism of John. He did not know of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He did not know about his ascension. He did not know about his promised return. He did not know about the Holy Spirit who, who lives within us, guaranteeing our salvation, sealing us to the day of redemption. I mean, just think about those moments in your own life when you understood the gospel more clearly and the joy that just overwhelmed your body. What would he have missed out on if he stayed in his pride and not his humility? Let me just ask you, what is your pride stealing from you? Right now, there's probably something in your life that you are not receiving from the Lord because you are stubborn and prideful. Friends, we must be a humble people. We must be willing to learn when we do not understand things correctly as we want, as accurately as we want. Now, we may need more clarity on doctrine, but sometimes we don't understand doctrine the way that we should. Sometimes we don't understand our life accurately. We're not living a life that is in accord with God's Word. And listen, it's hard for us to be confronted. It's hard for us to want to be confronted. But friends, we all have blind spots. As Apollos needed Priscilla and Aquila, we need one another. It is hard to give critique and feedback in another's life. This is why I say again and again and again, invite people into your life. Ask questions so that you can grow and become more like Jesus. It is essential 
that we are honest with ourselves and with others. Elders, we must lead with humility. I've heard several members, even in the past week, uh, talk about Christianity Today's Mars Hill podcast and on, on the abuse of spiritual authority. You know, Mark Driscoll is a gifted teacher. He's a learned man, but his pride hurt him and hurt his church. Apollos was a gifted teacher and a learned man, but his humility helped him and helped his church. We must never forget the the words of the Lord Jesus in Matthew 20, 25 and 28. You know that the rulers of of the Gentiles lorded over them. Their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever must be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. If we're going to be servants, we must be humble. We must walk the way of Christ, who did not come to be served, but came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. If you want to pastor, if we want to pastor a humble church, we must have humble shepherds. We must be examples to the flock. When our people come to us in love and respect, offering respectful critiques that will help us lead like Jesus, we must humble ourselves and listen. It is for our good, and it is for His glory. Lastly, the help of the servant. The help of the servant. Humility Pave the way for Apollo's future impact for the kingdom of God. Priscilla and Aquila left Achaia, left Corinth with Paul and came to Ephesus. Now, Apollos wants to leave Priscilla and Aquila and go back to Achaia or, or Corinth. Look at verse 27. And when he wished to cross Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the Scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. How many things do we miss because of our pride? How many things do we gain because of our humility? Apollos was able to be a blessing to the Corinthians, a blessing to the whole entire church because of his humility. The brothers saw how he taught the Word of God with excellence, with with grace, and with power. And they saw his godly, humble character. And the brothers encouraged him and then wrote on his behalf that the other's brothers would welcome him in. The church affirmed Apollos' ministry. As, as As you read the pages of the New Testament, it is very clear the the importance of the corporate nature of the church. The ministry decisions were prayed through and considered together. It seems right, it seemed right for the believers in Ephesus to send Apollos to Corinth. And when he arrived, he was a huge help to the church. It's interesting, though, how how Paul, how Luke, rather, highlights why Apollos was effective in Corinth. It says, when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the Scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. He was a hell to those 
who by grace believed. They did not believe because of his great oration. They did not believe because of his great eloquence. They believed because of the grace of God. Do not trust your gifting, but only in his grace. The gospel ministry is all of grace. Our effectiveness as preachers and ministers of the gospels in our homes and in our, in our workplace is all of grace. Apollos' early ministry, understanding the promises that, from John that Jesus was the Christ, I think helped pave the way for his future ministry in Corinth. See, John was a respected uh, figure in the Jewish community. You even remember in the Gospels that the Pharisees didn't want to speak against John because of his large respect in the, in the community. So teaching about the message of repentance from John would not have been controversial. But because of his humility, Apollos learned the way of God more accurately. And he was able to refute the Jews powerfully, showing from the Scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Apollos was a man of the book. He was a man of the sacred scriptures. He believed them and he taught them. Beloved, again, what an example. We must give ourselves to the reading and studying and the meditating of the sacred scriptures so that we can prove that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the only way to the Father. Apollos enthusiastically talked about the scriptures that in his posture of humility made him incredibly effective for the gospel. I believe Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, shared this brief story with Apollos to show how God is moving throughout the kingdom of God. God is not only moving in the Apostle Paul's ministry. God is moving all the time. He is not limited to one man. He's not limited to one church. Paul did solid ministry in Corinth. Apollos did solid ministry in Corinth. Some wanted to create a division by picking sides. And, and Paul, again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote these words. 1 Corinthians 3. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are all God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. God is moving in churches all across the world. We pray that God would use our church, Park Baptist Church, for his glory. And you know what? We pray that God would use Pioneer for his glory. We pray God would use Old Town for his glory. We pray that God would use East Side for his glory. We are mere servants the Lord assigns us a particular mission. Paul planted, Apollos watered, but only God gives the growth. We are all fellow workers of God's field. God is the builder. He gets all the glory. Why do you think we send so many of our good, godly people away? It's because we believe that God will give the increase. We want to send Thomas to be a healthy pastor. We want to send Mark Watts to be a healthy pastor. We want to sell men like Trell to be a healthy pastor because we want God's glory to expand to the ends of the earth. Paul's ministry, Apollo's ministry, our ministry is the same. We want to show from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. 
He's the savior of the world, the only mediator between God and man, the great I am, the good shepherd, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the lamb who was slain to open the seal and ransom people from every nation, tribe, and language. Our aim is Jesus Christ and his glory. And if our aim is Jesus and his glory, we will run full speed, enthusiastically to share the gospel of his name. If our aim is Jesus and and his glory, we will humbly hear from others when they correct us and teach the scriptures more accurately. If our aim is Jesus and his glory, we will be a great help to those who by grace believe. If our aim is Jesus and his glory, we will be humble, zealous servants for his name. And if our aim is Jesus and his glory, we will one day see Jesus in his glory. So today, let us, let us think of the great hymn of the faith that says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, All the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Turn your eyes to the heavens. Our king will return for his own. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will shout. All glory to Jesus alone. Father, I pray that we here would be humble, zealous servants for your name. We pray that you would take all the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As the the worship team uh, gets in place, uh, we're going to sing one last song. Uh, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Some of the, 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 the lyrics uh, are, are, are new uh, in the third and fourth stanzas but we think they really crystallize the gospel. So as we sing, I pray that you rejoice yet again for all that God has done for you in Christ. Please stand as we sing. Look full in his wonderful 